Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. Embarking on a path of self-disruption takes courage and deep self-reflection. For Lucas Chang, founder of Y2 Entrepreneurship Labs, that reflection took him back to his time as an adolescent playing street hockey with his buddies. What he has done with that memory and his years of business education and experience is remarkable. His company designs and delivers learning experiences for high school students, and sometimes younger than that, to immerse them in problem-based learning and design thinking. Listen into this conversation and discover how the impact he is having may spark some incredible innovations in the future while creating a generation of collaborative, creative, and communicative leaders. Enjoy the conversation. Hey, Lucas, how's it going? It's going well. Got my Grogu t-shirt going on. Yeah, that's a very cool t-shirt. I got to find out where to get yeah, that yeah well I, yeah i'll send you the link i saw that i'm like yeah no that's perfect that's gonna have a little grogu in my house and and this was perfect i don't know I've, if all my listeners would know grogu but it's a character in the new uh star wars tv series what's the name of that TV the, Mand- series? the mandalorian. mandalorian the mandalorian yeah and so just for as a plug it's one of these tv shows that sounds like it's you got to be a star wars geek to to enjoy it but it really is a western where yeah. you get this lone character who finds this little baby formerly known as baby Yoda and just the adventures they go through. But it's one of these things you're like, baby Yoda makes everything better. And Mandalorian is a legit good show. And for any of you who are thinking about checking out the last episode in season two features a cameo, which is amazing. Blows your mind level of, of amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Although give away too much, but I'm not going to say what, you know, who, who this cameo is, but it was good stuff. Yeah. Awesome show. I loved it. So Lucas, I've been waiting for this conversation for a long time because we go way back, not to childhood, but we were hanging around the same neighborhoods as kids, I'm sure. Yeah. But it goes back a few years in our career. We lost touch for a bit. We've been working together recently and there's lots of great fun to talk about in that story. But I've been looking forward to this because in our day-to-day work, we haven't had a chance for this kind of conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I mean, yeah. And we used to have these kinds of conversations even when we first met and were initially working together. We would have the opportunity to have these chats over like lunch or whatever. Absolutely. Right. So, really quickly to catch people up, there's lots of details to the story, but we'll give them the synopsis. We first met when I was working at Purelator. I was seconded onto a project to lead a scoping for improving our customer responsiveness through our call centers, our sales engagement basically a CRM project, but you came in as my consultant from Accenture. I didn't choose you. You were given to me as my partner from Accenture to work with on the scoping exercise. And we hit it off pretty quickly because like, I remember right away, we connected on the idea that, look, this isn't a technology project. This is an organizational cultural transformation project enabled by technology and we connected on that like right away. Yeah. Well, it, and, it, and I think it was about people. Yeah. Organizations about people. And I mean, you, you kind of look at the stuff we've done since, and I think we're still in the business of helping people be the best versions of themselves. And I think that's where we we had the connection back up here later. Absolutely. So we got to work on that project, which is fantastic. I rolled off that project and went on to do something else at Pure Later. And you probably went on to another client at Accenture. But we stayed in touch and we would, we both had young kids at the time, but we would sneak out after the kids went to bed. And every so often we'd probably, I think once a month, we'd meet for a drink in the evening and and compare notes and tell stories. I don't know. I can't even remember how long that went on, but I moved away to Vancouver and, and our contact was kind of more distant and far between until relatively recently. So catch me up around what in your mind, what were the big events in your life between when we worked together at, uh, well, maybe 
after we stopped having drinks together in the days after the Pure Later project? What, was, well, what happened for you? Well, I'd say one thing that's funny is back in the day, there was no Zoom. There was Skype, there, but I don't think that was as culturally top of mind as it is now, which is why we didn't have our, we didn't continue our conversations that we would have at the Firkin virtually. Yeah. So I think now we have this more socially acceptable method of video conferencing. So since then, so after Accenture, my older daughter was born and yeah. right around that time, Accenture was saying, you know, we've got these great opportunities for you in the States, which sound would have sounded amazing to me five, 10 years earlier, but I really wanted to see my daughter. Yeah. Made a choice that I would prioritize her. And right around that time, TELUS had an opportunity to do something in the automated uh, telephone space. So that was kind of where I cut my teeth at, at Accenture, you know, specifically within CRM. So I went to TELUS, led a couple of teams there. And then in 2012-ish, I started thinking, you know what, my, you know, the time at TELUS was great, but there were just so many things I started thinking, you know what, I, I think I'm not meant to, the things I want to accomplish with my life are not necessarily going to be best accomplished at TELUS, mm-hmm. which isn't to take away from the organization. It's just different focus, different priorities. Mm-hmm. So 2013, I left and mm-hmm. didn't know what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. which has kind of been my story. So after undergrad, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I did an MBA. After yeah. MBA, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went into consulting. Yeah. So after TELUS, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I went back to consulting, did that for a little while. But I got involved in 2014 with the, I'd say the innovation and startup ecosystem in York Region, which is for those of you okay. who aren't familiar with the greater Toronto area, it's the area immediately north of Toronto, which includes municipalities such as Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughan, Newmarket, yeah. and so forth. Yeah. So I did a lot of, of work to help build the community, kind of coordinated a community of entrepreneurs ranging from early ideation, pre-startup to having run a business for 15 years. Yeah. And we went from the community was kind of zero because there, there wasn't this umbrella. And then I'd say now before pandemic, we were probably at about 600 people hmm. who were Part of the conversation, receiving newsletters, a portion showing up for the events that we were doing. Mm. And then on Twitter, we end up with, went from zero to 2,200 followers or something. Wow. wow. Yeah. So wow. it's been interesting to see that and see the maturity of the ecosystem over the last five years. Yeah. Because it really has changed. And what's been cool is in kind of coming out from that within that ecosystem, there was a need that I saw. Yeah. Well, for can I interrupt you there yeah, yeah, for yeah. a second? Because yeah. um, I want to live in that world of how you landed in that place. And this conversation is going to be quite intertwining and a little bit meandering. And I, I, I really want to dive into what happened next because that's where our paths cross again. Yep. And, but I want to live in a second for that moment when you didn't know what to do following TELUS and you fell in to this ecosystem working with the York region. In retrospect, it's kind of a, just a quick kind of thing. I fell into the ecosystem. But what was happening for you in the time where you were, how did you fall into that? What was the thing that made you fall into that? Yeah. So at the point I left TELUS, I'd been working in big corporate for 15 years. Yeah. So I had the Accenture name, I had the TELUS name. I had the, the almost the pre-constructed you know, communities within each. Yeah. We Within those environments, things like salary and title mm-hmm. uh, and team and whatever, almost shape the interactions that I would have within that society, the mini society of TELUS or, or Accenture. Yeah. What I was curious about when I left was I won't have any of that. Mm. I've got no title. I could walk around and say my title is X and people would say, I don't care. <clears throat> I don't know what that means. So I was really curious to see what I, how I would interact with the outside world without yeah. all the things I took for granted. And I think there was an open mind that I had of, okay, well, I think I'm going to do a small business thing. And I'm just, I'm going to go with the journey. So one of the first things I saw was when I started my consulting practice, it was hard to know where to begin to mm-hmm. meet people and talk to people and network and get the word out. So my story involved, you know, my, I first joined the Markham Board of Trade because mm-hmm. that just seemed like a logical place to begin. Mm-hmm. But as I was going, as I was going through this journey of myself learning about the, what was available to people starting businesses and entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. I started seeing certain things that were missing. Yeah. And so one of the things was I wanted to, there was not really a place I saw, for example, where entrepreneurs of whatever stage could connect with other entrepreneurs without having to pay the membership fee to the board, which okay. is not to take away anything from the board, Yeah. but it wasn't, there wasn't kind of that Liberty village place where you could just kind of meet people right? yeah. and have these collisions yeah. that you might have at quantum at King and, and Spadina yeah. in downtown Toronto. And so what I thought was it would be interesting to try to create something like that in the, the York region area. So people had an option of not having to go to downtown Toronto for networking events. They had the option of staying up in York region, but in a kind of a 
non-salesy, non-pitchy environment. Right. So I started doing that and kind of word got out. And so, so certain people would, so that it was under the umbrella of Startup York that I did that. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. And kind of over time, I think people who were looking for something similar that they didn't want to drive as context to drive from York, from the south end of York region to downtown Toronto on an average day back in 2014, 2015, around dinner time was probably 40 minutes mm-hmm. each way. So it, it was a, there was a commitment there to drive down versus if you live in Richmond Hill and there's an event taking place at the four, Highway 404 and 16th Avenue, that might be a 15 minute drive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you first saw, basically, you saw obviously the entrepreneurial ecosystem, you saw it starting to thrive and flourish through these kind of co-working spaces where entrepreneurs, startup people got together. And you said, is there an opportunity to create something? Is there a pain point for some of those people that don't want to travel all the way into downtown, heavy traffic in Toronto? Can we do something like that regionally? And that was kind of the first impetus. You saw a pain point. And the reason I'm drilling on this is because, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the things we're doing now, but you saw a pain point and you saw a group of people, let's call them a persona. I was wondering if you're going to go there. (laughs) They called them a persona that had this pain point and you decided to solve for that problem for those people. Is that interpreting right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and that's amazing. And it was it was interesting. I mean, the process of validating whether or not if I was that persona, invalidating that other people felt that I went, okay, so I'm going beyond myself now. And yeah. yes, there's a real problem affecting real, you know, entrepreneurs who are here and what they want, what's missing for them is something local yeah. and something that's not pitchy and et cetera, et cetera. So very much what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Identifying a, a real need. Okay, so I'm going to put a pin in this story now. We're going to come back to this point and we'll connect some more dots. But before we do, I want to go backwards a little bit. We discovered while we were working together in Toronto that we grew up in the same neighborhoods and hung around in Mm -hmm. Burnaby, British Columbia. I was more in the South Burnaby side. You were in the North Burnaby side. Our schools, Burnaby Central, and you were at Burnaby North, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, Burnaby North. So tell me about growing up in in Burnaby and what was it like for you? And are there any experiences from being a kid that you've kind of carried with you into your adulthood, into your leadership, into your business practice? Yeah. um, So growing up in Burnaby, it's a life that I knew. It was a comfortable place. School was good. I was always probably a little bit of an outsider. Never really quite felt like I fit in, but I'm going to guess that every single person or most people who are listening felt that at some point in their youth. But something about me that I think has continued to, to now, I always, for some reason, always kind of gravitated towards the underdog. Mm. The person who may not have a voice, the person who's still finding their voice. So a story I'll tell you real quick. In when I was 12 years old, my buddies and I would be playing road hockey. Yeah. And, you know, there was Canadian tradition. You play hockey and everyone knows back in the day when you heard the word car, it was you take the net out of the way, the car goes by. So we eventually got tired of that. And I was remember one day I looked at there was probably 10 of us who were playing. And I thought, well, instead of playing on the road, which oh, if we were if the road was a bit busier, it might be dangerous. I thought, well, it'd be interesting to see if we could go play in the school gym. So I went to the principal and I asked, okay, all my friends were like, oh, no, they're going to say no. He's going to say no. He's going to say no. I thought, well, the worst is that he's going to say no. Yeah. So I went in and I said, here's what's going on. We're playing cars. But if no one's using the gym from 3.30 to 5 on a Friday, could we play? And we promise we'll keep it clean. We'll leave it the way we found it and and so on. Could we do that? And and he kind of was like, okay, yeah, here are a couple stipulations, but sure, we trust you. And it was kind of that me looking at, well, we kids, we were all 12, 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought the rest of the group may not think instinctively to go ask for this. And I think since then, that's been kind of me looking at, okay, well, these people, you know, they're underdogs. They're not necessarily going to get opportunity. Yeah. Let's try to create it for them. Yeah. So the so idea that you were playing road hockey and their kids you're playing road hockey with, there was inconvenience. There was, again, a pain point, cars, interruptions all the time. And you thought that you thought of an idea of representing them and yourself because you were part of that group, but representing yourselves and trying to make things better to reduce the pain and and do all that. And that seed was planted for you, think at that time about finding ways to represent people that aren't necessarily going to represent themselves. Yeah. Represent. And then that evolved into helping them learn to represent themselves. Yeah. But it very much was because I remember thinking part of the conversation with my friends at the time was the phrase, yeah, but we're just kids. Right came up, you know, quite a bit. He's not going to, yeah. principal's not going to listen because we're just kids. And I thought, well, yeah. you know what, let's test that. Wow. But it was kind of that same thing. So now as we kind of think to some of the stuff that, that you and I've been doing, yeah, you know, we'll look at the grade sevens and grade eights in Kingston and go, huh, 
what can we do to ignite them? Yeah. yeah. To give them their ability to represent themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's dive in there. So I want to do a little bit of storytelling. You and I kind of went on living separate lives, but aware of each other on social media. I saw you were doing some really cool things, working with young people and and teaching entrepreneurship and those kinds of things. And I didn't know exactly what you're doing, but I thought it was cool. I didn't know how you're making money though. I wasn't sure if you were doing okay <laughs> because I wasn't sure if you could make a living doing stuff with young people in schools. But then watching you do that, again, it was on LinkedIn. I was just reminded of how much joy I had when I was early in my career and I was working, doing some things with junior achievement, teaching high school kids and all of that stuff. And I thought, wow, that's really cool that you get to do that. I didn't realize at the time what was going on in my head and what the parallels were with what you were doing. But then pandemic hits mm -hmm. and I decided to kind of reach out to some people and you were thinking the same thing. So we connected with each other. But then around the same time, I was participating in a virtual conference, an Ignite conference for entrepreneurship and professionals. And I attended because I was speaking at the conference, I got to attend another thing virtually. And it was a gentleman by the name of Salim Ismail talking about innovation and entrepreneurship. And we went to the Q&A section and I was thinking about a little bit about you, a little bit about junior achievement and a little bit about what I was doing in my own work. And I asked him the question, what do you think about introducing innovation and kind of problem solving skills to high school students? And he came back again, all virtually, saw my comment in chat and got excited about it and said, absolutely huge interest in this. This is something we all got to do. And then the day next day or days after you and I had a conversation Yep. and everything kind of connected because that's essentially what you were doing. And I was ready to hear it because the, <laughs> the path of the thought. So now tell me about how you landed from ecosystem entrepreneurship and what you're doing with high school kids or with kids, not just high school, young people. Yeah. So I was involved in the startup ecosystem, active in York region, did some stuff in Toronto as well. So I had a bit of a sense of what was happening for people who were interested in fintech and health tech and whatnot. And there was training that was being delivered. So things around helping them, founders go through ideation, creating a business model, building their pitch. So things that were happening in the startup ecosystem, I thought were great. But I also observed that with students who are supposed to be our, we say the future leaders and the change makers. Well, the, the limitation with them as I went through what was available in the ecosystem, both in you know, Toronto, York region and around was large for the most part, even if there were a lot of really good resources for grownups, adults looking to start businesses, mm -hmm. those same resources weren't necessarily available to students. Mm -hmm. You may have the odd student who has a very concrete business idea. He or she will figure that out. But for the average teen who is thinking, I'm curious about entrepreneurship, but I don't have a solid idea. Mm -hmm. There wasn't some place that they could go to get exposure, not read a book or watch a video, but get exposure to entrepreneurs who have been through it, to get mentoring, to bounce ideas, to be in a safe place where they could learn about it without having to bring a, a concrete idea. Mm -hmm. So I started a conference that essentially brought together what was being taught to startup founders, but package it up to be focused on teenagers, mm -hmm. you know, grades nine to 12. So I did that once a year, twice a year, and there was good uptake. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting was at first there were business students who showed up. They would see entrepreneurship and boom, business. So this is university business students? These are high school. Oh, high school students who kind of went, I'm interested in business. So whether they had done JA or junior achievement, or they were part of DECA. Yeah, right. The first conference or two were drew those kids. But as we went on and we kind of, I changed the, the terminology to be more around innovation and solving mm -hmm. problems. And then we started seeing health and wellness kids and arts and culture kids and sports kids and, and engineers on top of the business kids. Mm. And so there was something there I thought, okay, well, this is you know interesting data point. So innovation problem solving can be for all sectors. And there was a number of students who are non-business mm. that after the conference, would, you know, they'd said, you know, wow, we came and we thought entrepreneurship, we associated that with business. But now that I've been through it, it's making me realize that for my sector, my area of focus, LifeSci, I can apply techniques around innovation and problem solving to solve real problems in mm -hmm. the LifeSci sector. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that. So that was an interesting data point. And then the mm -hmm. second interesting data point was <clears throat> students were asking for the conference throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the conference was 100% supported by sponsorships. So whatever sponsorships we got went 100% to covering the cost of the uh, student experience. Yeah. So during the conferences, I made no money. None of the money made went to me. It was entirely side of desk, give it to the kids. But as there was more demand for this kind of programming, I started thinking, well, well how could I start working with kids during the year? And the mm -hmm. idea of bringing together a program 
that would take place in schools came up. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, can we, before we go into that, can we pause? You ran this program for lots of young people from all different walks of life. Any favorite stories stand out for one of the participants in these conferences that went on to do something interesting? Yeah. That you feel I mean, proud of? There are a lot of them that I'm proud of, and I'm still in touch with a bunch of them. But one person I'll pick on, her name is Lynn Chen. Yeah. So Lynn came to the April 2016 conference, and she went there because she was supporting a friend. Yeah. A buddy of hers was there. She wanted to go and, and be there. But while she was there, she's like, yeah, sure. All right, I'll participate. Why not? Yeah. So she joined, and she formed a team. And her idea, the problem she wanted to solve was around waste management. Specifically, that she observed when people would go to the CNE or on a main street of a touristy area, they would get ice cream, for example. Yeah. They would eat their ice cream and throw the spoon away, wasting spoons. Yeah. So her team's solution was to come up with candy spoons. Huh. So they worked through the idea. They did a 3D mold. They, they researched recipes. Wow. And they brought candy spoon prototypes to the final pitch to give to the judges. Yeah. So they were one of the top two teams that the, ju the judges recognized. They went on to start a business. Hmm. And so for a few years, Lynn and her team uh, ran candy cutlery. And then eventually that was kind of a chapter of her life that was done. So she closed that with her partners and she went to Queens and did some, you know, study there for a bit. But then she's recently started another business called Layer CI, which um, is a platform that allows developers to accelerate their testing of their software programs. Wow. And wow. she did this with, she met her co-founder from New York. And to the end, at this point, they're raising their revenue positive, they're uh, raising funds, and they are part of Y Combinator in Silicon Valley. Amazing. Is and it? she didn't like, you know, her journey really was is special for a variety of reasons. One, yes, you know, she started this journey, even what she would say from Y2, but she really within York region was helped by a lot of organizations within the mm, region, ranging mm. from Seneca College. She was part of uh, Venture Lab, which is one of the regional innovation centers in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, she did some stuff with York. She's worked with York region. Like, so she has had a lot of touch points, yeah. but I think the, the thing that is most impressive about her is that Lynn, I think has, would say that when she was younger, she was, you know, victim of bullying. Mm. Um, she had some reason to maybe doubt herself and to see her rise from that kind of place of uncertainty to suddenly being in a celebrated place and doing some really cool stuff to a little bit of imposter syndrome to now she's in a, in a mental state where, where she is, not just doing well with layer CI and dealing with the everydays of, of running a business, but she's now in a place of giving back. Wow. Amazing. So it's really been, yeah, to see her confidence rise and so, she has her bad days, but it's just inspiring how much, how resilient she's been. So that's 2016 and she was a high school student. Yep. Between 2016 and 2021, she has started a business then wrapped up the business, gone to university, left university, started another business, kind of like a tech platform, yep. getting funding in New York, part of now these innovation labs and entrepreneurship support services like Y Combinator, which is like really hard to get into, Silicon Valley startup incubator. And in the span of four years, what does it feel like, Lucas? I know you're a humble guy, but just for a moment, humor me, what does it feel like to be part of that journey? To be part of the narrative yeah. is amazing. And it's so much a testament to Lynn and, and kind of what she's accomplished. And I obviously Y2 and Lucas are not the main players. And if anything, Y2 would be from a past chapter in her life. To know that there's some, that we've had some impact to yeah. help her be, you know, the person she is today. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as a coach, right? Like you go and you work with these CEOs and you work with executives. And you know that ultimately they make the decisions and they live and die by the consequences. Yeah. But as a coach, if you can help them just reframe something and they, because they've reframed it, find success from that. You're like, yeah, that was your decision. You made the, the call on the court. But yeah. I feel good that I offered you something to kind of tweak it to make you go, yeah, make that decision on the court. Yeah. So that was the founding. That whole period was the founding of Y2 Entrepreneurship Labs. Exactly. With a focus on young people. Yep, exactly. So yeah, so now you were starting to talk about how you went from that to actually programs in school. So walk me through that kind of. Yeah, I think so Y2 for short was very conference based from 20, I'd say 2015 until 2017. Right. In 2017, I started thinking, well, there's this request that's coming in a little bit here, a little bit there, but the questions are coming in. Hey, do you have something for classrooms? And I thought, Okay, that'd be interesting. So mm. I took a look at all the things that I had been teaching startups from forming a problem statement to building a persona to coming up with you know ideas to building a business model, prototype, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I thought, well, what if I put into a structure, a problem-based learning structure? Yeah. And it was a set program and brought it into schools. How would that look? And so I did that. I piloted with uh, talking to one of my, my older daughter's teacher at the time. And he was looking for something interesting. I was like, well, I've got this thing. I've never done it before, but would you mind if I guinea pigged it on your class? And he was, I just work, work out the kinks and I want to see whether, you know, do some initial yeah. validation. Yeah. The biggest stakeholder, the loudest voice to me mm-hmm. were my daughter's friends. Mm. So if I went in with a bunch of grade sevens and did this thing, and after I left and they went to the outside for, for lunch afterwards, and if they were like to my daughter, wow, what is wrong with that guy? Mm-hmm. That would be right. Like these are the people I'm trying to serve or these kids. Yeah. User feedback. But, exactly. The teacher might be political in the sense of being diplomatic. If it was terrible, the kids would be ruthless. Mm-hmm. And my daughter would be ruthless back to me. So I was really interested to see how that went. And in some of the comments that she told me that her friend said was like, hey, your dad's pretty cool. Yeah. And I went, okay, so there's something there. So it was kind of, I went through the past and kind of got some insight into the program. And then I started talking to other schools about it. And there, was, there were a couple of schools who were very early on thinking about how do we incorporate, how do we train our, our kids to think about entrepreneurship and how to yeah. focus on the problem, not necessarily on the test score. Yeah. Yeah. And so amazing. there was one, one school in Toronto that I talked to and so I, I showed them the program. They were, they thought, oh my God, this is the kind of stuff we want. And mm-hmm. you've already developed it for us. Would you like to teach our classes? Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was the first foray into teaching in that, in that case, I was teaching four classes of grade eights at the school. Mm-hmm. And at the same time we looked at the value of the program and, and mm-hmm. I could say, well, let's, here's the price. Yeah. And the school, wow. went, that's reasonable. And we think it, you know, we believe in this, so let's do it. And that was the yeah. beginning of offering the Y2 PBL or program-based learning, problem-based learning into schools that, that you have experienced teaching as well now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That So that, that's a great story because I actually didn't know the whole kind of journey um, and how it all evolved. So around the time that you're doing this, I'm working in an organization, nonprofit space and one of the things I'm very interested in learning about is design thinking. And so I reached out to one of our supporters who works in a large Canadian bank who heads up digital at that Canadian bank. And I sent him a note saying, I want to learn about design thinking. Give me the fastest way to do that. He sends me a book recommendation called The Sprint. And I devoured the book and it taught me a methodology. And then I tried the methodology with my team. And I wanted to hire somebody to help run a session in my organization. So I called up some people that were affiliated with the author of the book. And I was getting like a price for 40 grand US for a week long facilitated design sprint workshop. Obviously I couldn't afford that nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. So I parked it and worked with a volunteer and we did it ourselves. So now fast forward, I have this conference with Salim Ismail talking about high school learning. At the same time, I don't know if I told you this, but I went into my kid, one of my son's open houses with his high school. And there's a really passionate teacher there talking about how he's teaching a history lesson. And he was so into it. It was innovative and creative. And he had the kids making things and telling stories. And I thought, wow, I think I want to be a high school teacher. But of course, it wasn't practical where I was in my career to do that. So parked that away and went on with my career. And then a number of other things happened, which I won't go into, but then You and I reconnect around the time, a little bit later, obviously, than that happened. And here you are in high schools teaching. And I was so envious, Lucas, listening to you, but also very happy for you. And then one day you sent me an email saying, hey, I'm growing. I'm looking to hire. Would you mind looking at this position description and let me know what you think? And like, you weren't offering me a position, Lucas, but I read it and I... Basically, my response back, I basically applied for the job. Which was <laughs> like so I, I responded like, back and I said, here's my comments. Very few. But here's all the reasons why I should be your guy. <laughs> it was so funny because I, I asked you because I respect you and I appreciate you. And there, here's a story where we talk, you, you talked earlier about kind of we got along, but I'd, go, I'd say it went deeper. There was a, share, a shared value that you and I had. And there was one, one of your, your former team members, he was transitioning from the Pure Leader organization to the TELUS organization. Mm-hmm. And you and I, as one of those monthly get-togethers, we sat mm-hmm. down and we did a cross-organization transition. Yeah. Where it was about how can we look out for the best interests of this person? Yeah. Who obviously, I'm not going to name. Yeah, but he, he, had, he had hit a glass ceiling working for me at Pure Leader. And I knew he was capable of more, but he wasn't going to get it in our organization. And you happened to call me around that time. This is what, 20, 
2005, I think. Something like that. Yeah. It was early. It was a while ago. 2005, six, And then you called me and we orchestrated this trade <laughs> or this transfer, I should say. Yeah. Well, and it was, and, and I think in that kind of a situation, it's one thing to be friends and, and do yeah. these things that we were doing, but there's another layer of shared values when you and I are not doing this because we're going to you know, put it on LinkedIn and say, look how great we are. Yeah. We met because we wanted to set up the, the smoothest and best transition for the person in question as we yeah. could. Yeah. So you offered perspective of what he was good at, his path, things to work on, et cetera. And I knew the TELUS environment. So I could think of how I could build on his path, his yeah. experience a pure later. And the very fact that we had that conversation and we did it for the betterment of this person. Yeah. To me yeah. was a, you know what, Shaquille and I connect, you and I connect on a level deeper than we were co-leads on a consulting project. Yeah, yeah. So I thought there was something really, really kind of interesting, really good there. So when I had this job posting and back in September, I was thinking, okay, if, if I'm going to grow because I'm anticipating more demand, my hypothesis is this is the kind of person, a person that would be a good fit. So I sent it to you because I respect your perspective. And it was funny when you're like, I'm going to apply. And I was like, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> Hold on a second. Okay. And let's ride this horse and see where it goes. Yeah. And it's been, and it took three months, right? So the process to kind of go from you're interested to now we're teaching. Yeah. That took a while, but it was just, it was such a natural road. Yeah. Uh, and the values was something I realized that maybe I had underestimated the importance of shared values when I put my initial job posting out in September. Yeah. So it's just going back to the story of the transition and how I saw you work with your team back at Peerlater, how you spoke of people some of the things you're doing with executive coaching, there was such a respect and appreciation you have for people. And you don't go in trying to tell them what to think. You go in expecting that, you know what, these people are capable and they they can do things on their own. Your right. job is to nurture that. And I went, yeah. oh, you know what, that's the kind of mindset I really, that I have. But I really want more of that with the kids. I want the yeah. kids to feel that the person instructing them isn't there to, to say, hey, you're wrong. It's more, no, no, I believe in you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how well, do we, how can I help you get to expressing that idea, that solution that you yeah. have, but bring, but allow you to do it and not do it for you. So I yeah. really, I think it's funny that we're having this conversation now because that respect and love you have for people really has come through. And it was one of those things I went, oh, you know what, that is such a part, such a part of the secret sauce for an effective instructor with these kids going through the program. Yeah. I'm I very appreciative. Of you. I don't try not to cut off my guests, but it was really hard to hear all those nice words, but thank you, <laughs> Lucas. I really appreciate it. And you know me really well. You understand what I'm in this for. But if I connect the dots between what I was experiencing and the quality and the integrity you've put into what you're doing. So that book I read and the facilitator I wanted to hire to do that program for $40,000, you've essentially created a program delivered to students, young people, to teach them how to take any problem and work that problem through a series of steps to develop an innovative solution that's tested, tried, put into the market, gotten user feedback, fine-tuned, redone, and then potentially for the really good ones in a position where if they wanted to take it further, they could. Mm -hmm. And so Lucas, you did hire me and you walked me through this program. You trained me really well. You gave me two high school classes to teach, grade eight classes. I finished one. I'm in the middle of another one now. And as I'm going through this, these young people are blowing my mind. First of all, the program you've created is phenomenal. Just really, really well done for the purposes of teaching, like really sophisticated thinking in a simple way to young people. So kudos, congratulations. Thank you. It's incredible. And I if there's principals and teachers listening here, you should talk to Lucas and or talk to me and I'll connect you to Lucas because there's really something special here. So we're doing this in the classrooms and we watch young people go from, I'm sure I can do this to we just finished after eight classes watching these kids do these presentations. And the group I was part of in Kingston the challenge put in front of the kids is how do you get, how do you help business owners in the hospitality industry build their business back in the face of a COVID world? That's a pretty big, hairy problem to put in front of grade eight kids and very real. Absolutely. But they did it. They came up with ideas, solutions, they worked them through. And by the end of it, we had four phenomenal 
really good solutions presentations where they not only achieved the objective, but they described what we would do next post pandemic mm -hmm. to expand, to grow. Man, congratulations, Lucas. As just to watch that transfer, transformation happen for these young people was really, it sent chills to be part of that. So What's, thank you. Well, I mean, that was a testament to, to your teaching, right? So nurturing them. And I think you were very fortunate to have the teacher in question who, who you, you co-taught with, and he's fantastic. Yeah. So I think that was, that was you know, just the kind of you let's, plus the teacher. Let's give plus... him some props because oh, I'm sure yeah. he would Keith mind. Was... Keith Alcott from Limestone District School Board in fantastic. Kingston. Amazing teacher, great partner, kids, sell, interest for their future, front and center. He would play rock and roll music as the class was starting, like totally engaged these young people. And I was very fortunate to have him as the teacher that I partnered with. And you talk about these kids and the experience and the, the presentations, that's kind of a four-part equation. There's kind of you, there's Keith, there's the students, and then the, the board level, Jason Quinville was yeah. the one who said, you know what, I want to try this. So again, it's, it's educators who see the bigger picture, who have the students in mind. Yeah. Now, I'll say one thing, just in case anyone's listening is thinking, well, what special breed of children is this? You know, yeah. are these unicorns? You had one group that they were fighting with each other, <laughs> right? Like they were grade eights and they were like, I don't, like, what is wrong with my team members? So well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a great story because the kids were basically, they were struggling to make progress. And this was like, like six weeks in or six, six classes in. And the teacher came into the group and saying, you know, what's going on here? Like, how come you guys aren't really able to get this going? And one of the kids said, Mr. A, they that's what they called Mr. A, you've put us together. We're all different. We all have different interests. We all have different personalities. And he came up with some kind of analogy. I can't remember something like putting apples and oranges and grapefruits all together and expect them to be the same this is not going to work. There's no way. And he had so much conviction. It's not going to work. So he was coming at this from a perspective is that diversity is not a good thing. And we had a bit of a conversation with them and let them air their grievances and actually planted a couple of ideas. What if he did this? What if he did that? And then I backed off and watched what happened. And I stepped out of the room, a virtual room, went to another group. And then we saw their final presentation. Why don't you tell us what happened in that final presentation with that particular group? It was just the cohesion, the thinking was definitely there. And it was interesting. One point, I think you asked them a question and you would, for the person who didn't know that they were disagreeing or had disagreed at one point, it was not clear. There was, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. The presentation went, was really well. It was a really good presentation. The idea was solid. The transitions were very smooth, but even when you asked a question that acknowledged their previous conflict, yeah. I think there was such a life lesson in that for them that they were getting, they learned something that was beyond coming up with a solution to a problem, helping people in the hospitality and, and tourism sector. Yeah. I think they got a life lesson in how to leverage diversity to improve a group situation, which is like what team wouldn't want that? Yeah. What they ended up doing, they couldn't agree on doing a commercial because nobody wanted to record themselves doing a commercial. So then they decided to, okay, well, we can't do a commercial, but we're all comfortable presenting live. So they created a play, a radio play, where each of them played different characters. They played their personality and they played different characters from the young person that wanted to go to a restaurant but couldn't because of COVID to his friend who wanted to do something different to all the people that worked in the restaurant to the business owner. And they created this three act play yeah. in, in 10 minutes they walked us through the situation and their solution. It was so inspiring to watch these kids go through that journey and turn what they thought was a disadvantage, their diversity, into a differentiating advantage for themselves. It was mind-blowing. Well, and for me, I've worked with, even during pandemic, I've worked with about 1,500 students, all online. And so I've, I've kind of got a gist of, you know, enough mm -hmm. data points to have an opinion. And that was the first time I've ever seen students go through that, create a play the way that these guys did. Yeah. And it was inspiring and it was, it did stand out and it became even more inspiring because the journey they took wasn't, it wasn't one that was perfectly smooth. They had to really get nitty gritty and yeah. they still came up with this idea that was unique, was effective, was inspirational. Yeah. But knowing the backstory is yeah. one of those, oh man, like I'm, it feels good. You asked yeah. me earlier, does it feel good to, to know about be part of Lynn's story? Yeah. You're part of this group's story. And they don't have a business, they're 13, 14 years old, but to have been part of that journey for them to learn yeah. 
the value of diversity and how to figure themselves out and then to come out of it with a product a presentation that was that much different and that much more effective than yeah yeah like, that's cool right that's that's yeah that's a, um, it's cool and they did it all virtually yep right and if they were in a live classroom look i know there's lots of challenges and problems with online learning but if they were in a live school environment they likely would not have kind of hung out together because right. they were so different. These kids were so different. They would have been in different social circles in the school, but because they were thrown into this virtual environment and they were randomly put into these groups, they had no choice but to work through it. And so they couldn't give up. They couldn't walk away and go to their own friends. They had to exactly. work with this group. And so one of those positives that come, came out of this experience, I really hope it does. They live that lesson going forward in the future. Lucas, let's pause for a second here and just, I'm going to ask you to fast forward a little bit in life. Let's say your business that's been growing. You don't think of it as a business, but it is a business because there's obviously you are offering a service and you're getting giving value and getting value back for it. But let's say that you are successful and you have this program rolled out across the country, all over the place. What does the future look like for young people graduating high school? having had an experience like the Y2 experience in their education? I think a couple of things. I think the landscape, the working landscape that these students are going to wander into, and obviously the crystal ball I have is, you know, is, is foggy for the most yeah. part, but you know, if, I'm, if I were to, to, to you know, make a bet, the job market that'll be waiting for them in two, three, five years is, and organizations like the World Economic Forum have gone off and said stuff like along these lines, that a lot of the jobs that will exist in five years have not been created today. Mm -hmm. We will be looking at a gig economy, more of a gig economy, for, you know, freelance, you know, project-based economy. And so there will be the need for people to be, who want to be effective in that environment to be problem solvers, to be mm -hmm. good communicators, to be able to be good team members with teams of very different shapes, sizes, locations, and so forth. So what I am hoping that students who've gone through a Y2 experience is that they've had a chance to practice those muscles. They've activated them. They've tried it. It's not foreign. It's not scary to them. So when the students that you taught at uh, Limestone DSP, when they pop out in whatever number of years and they find themselves in a freelance, in, in a virtual team mm -hmm. working on a project, even if they don't do this again, this kind of experience again, which I hope they do, whether it be Y2 or someone else, but if they go through it, they can go, you know what? Yeah, I remember this. I remember what it's like to disagree with people on a team because we're mm -hmm. so different. Mm -hmm. And I know what it's like to work entirely virtually. And this is what I learned when I was going through PBL. And mm -hmm. I can apply that lesson and, and that and become an effective employee, team member, contributor. Mm -hmm. So I do mm -hmm. think there's that, but there's something even more important to me is that how many of those kids in your classroom, in any of the classrooms I've taught, how many kids were in there saying, no, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I'm looking around, I'm going, all these other people virtually, I see mm -hmm. their icons. They can do it. I think they go, you know, this mm -hmm. person, Marcus is so charismatic and Emma is really articulate. I, I can't do it. And how many of those kids walk out of that experience going, Hey, I did it. Yeah. And I taught a class of uh, grade 11s and 12s last week. Yeah. And the situation was a little different where at community partners, so local business owner came and shared his challenges and the students applied design thinking to go through and come up with, with a solution. And the solutions were largely really applicable, but things that the business owner hadn't thought about. So he said, right. like, you know, I hadn't thought about it. How do I do this? You're telling me to do to, this is a good solution, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. But how do I do this? And so one kid was like, all right, well, here's how you do it. And she went on, you know, took a chance and she laid it out and he was, he kind of went, oh my God, like that's your stuff. And she, she stopped and she's like, sounds like you need a social media manager. <laughs> and I was like, she's going to do it. She's going to do it. And she essentially was like, not, can I have a job? But she identified a need and offer and demonstrated she, she knew what she was doing that he was actually thinking about it. But it was another example where afterwards, you know, we're joking about it yeah, um, with the teacher, the students and, and me. And the student was like, I didn't think I was gonna, I could do that, but yeah, my God, I, I did. And I went, that's what I want. I want yeah. students to walk out of these experiences, hopefully going, you know what? There was a thing I didn't think I could do, public speaking, solve a problem, talk to a business owner, mm -hmm. work in a team. I'm the imposter syndrome. All of mm -hmm. that, I'm hoping that, Students will walk out going, hey, I did do that. Yeah. It's the short-term confidence boost. Yeah. Um, and, and one that does cannot be taken away. It's the, yeah. the, I know I did it. It doesn't matter that I got praise or didn't get praise. Yeah. It's not external. It's the internal, I feel good that I can do this. Yeah. And becomes a championship moment. The next time they doubt, then hopefully they can reach back into that moment. Love go, it. 
you know what? I can do it. So that's kind of the short term and the longer term views of what I'm hoping to do. Absolutely. Lucas, you're basically uh, rewiring their brains, right? From this belief that they can't do something, this whole fight or flight mechanism. Yeah, when they fear. come across a challenge, they're afraid of the challenge or they want to run away from the challenge. The process is about reprogramming that. And I watched it happen with young people. So there's that kind of confidence boosting facing the future. Some of the practical skills that I saw these, I asked the kids at the end, what have you taken from this? You know, they'll say things. I've learned how to take a problem and break it down. I've learned how to get feedback without feeling defensive, how to take criticism without it hurting my feelings and actually doing something with that feedback. I've learned how to collaborate with a team and recognize it's not always about just me talking about my ideas. It's about listening to others and helping them develop their ideas. And I'm thinking, wow, like I've worked with adults that struggle with these things. We all have. Yeah, absolutely. And now there are these young people that are going into the world having experienced this. It's that it's changing the game for young people. So I wish you nothing but success. And not just because I want to continue to teach high school kids with you, <laughs> but I, I really do for the goodness of our world, our society, for young people. I really do. I said this to the kids in my, at the end of the last class that I feel so confident about the future, the challenges that we're all facing, knowing there's young people like that coming into the world that have these skills to solve these problems and the confidence that they can do it. So thank you for doing that. And in our last couple of minutes here, I just wanted to ask you, based on everything you've seen and learned, what do you know now that you didn't know, let's say five years ago? What do you know for sure now that you didn't know five years ago? I think from, it's a reflection that I would, that I'm sharing in case anyone who's listening needs to hear this. So I grew up in an environment where the expectation was big corporate. So being of this color and ethnicity and, yeah. and race, and it, the big joke was growing up, there were only four um, legitimate occupations, yeah. uh, you know, big business, engineering, medicine, and law. Yeah. And these were prescribed fields and I was encouraged to go into law and it, that would not have worked out well for me. But five years ago, I think the idea of taking something that I was very passionate about and not passionate because I was trying to be right, but passionate because there was a legit problem and the people who were affected, students, they didn't necessarily have a lot of options available to them. And to be more specific for me, I am, I'm very aware that there are options for students who may have the access to the financial or mm -hmm. transportation resources to go do expensive things. Mm -hmm. And there are fantastic programs out there and I take mm -hmm. nothing away from them, but not every child has access to $6,000 and, and a you know, chauffeur, parent, person to drive them 40 minutes to go to a program. So for me to go to think, okay, well, what about the kids who can't do that? Yeah. How can we affect, you know, how can we help them? And I think over the five years, I've learned that being very specific about the problem and if it's a legit problem, good things will happen. Focusing on a legit problem, focusing on helping somebody who has a very true need mm -hmm. and offering to them in a way that suits their need. If, that, if you kind of align those three things together, mm -hmm. definitely there's opportunity along with hard work, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think that for me going back, if I told myself five years ago, you're going to be in this position with Y2, that is how you're having impacts. You're bringing, you're working with old friends and you're bringing, you're helping kids find their confidence. I think I wouldn't, I don't think I would have believed it because I couldn't. I couldn't fathom, I couldn't picture it. Yeah. You know, whereas today, I, I, the lesson has been, I've been so true to the North Star yeah. of the child who doesn't have these opportunities, but really would benefit from the opportunities and yeah. have it, the solution meet their needs and yeah. the teacher's needs yeah. has really been good for me to realize that these kinds of changes can be done. Yeah. So you've leveraged the navigation of disruption in your own career, going back a few years to now be in a position where you're equipping young people to have confidence to navigate disruption as it continues to happen in their lives going forward. So amazing work. Where can people find out more about Y2 and about you? Where, where should they go? Yeah. So the Y2 website is Y2. So the letter Y number two labs, L-A-B-S dot C-O. That's our website. Our uh, Twitter handle is, is the same thing as our Instagram handle. But if you reach out through through the website, the emails come to me. I'm happy to keep chatting. And you know, if anyone is curious about whether it be some of the stuff that we've been doing with kids or some of the backstory of leading up to it or lessons learned, I'm happy to have that conversation. And that's how to find me. One thing I will play kind of throw back at you, Shaquille, is thank you again for being part of this journey. Mm -hmm. You've had a tremendous impact on for already the one class. Bigger than that, I really appreciate kind of what you're trying to do with this podcast, with working with the kids, the commonality has been your desire to help people be the best yeah. versions of themselves. And I really appreciate being part of your story and yeah. working with you again. So thank you for this opportunity to share my story and have this conversation with you. 
Thank you, Lucas. It's been a great partnership and I look forward to many more years to come. Me Thanks too. for your time. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. You know, Lucas and I have been talking weekly for the last uh, couple of months, but in this conversation, I picked up so much more than I ever knew about him. Here's some takeaways from the conversation. When you want to self-disrupt or change things up, you don't always have to know what you're going to do next. You don't always have to have clarity on your next step. But what you do have to do is be open to self-reflect, take risks, experiment, remember childhood experiences, notice what boosts your energy, and find a problem that needs solving. Find a pain point that a specific person or group is experiencing. And think about how to bring all that you have, all your experiences to solve for that problem. There's probably a pretty good clue there as to what you can do next. The second thing is while we work on ourselves, achieving what we want for ourselves in our own lives, it's really important at the same time to think about how we can impact the next generation, each and every one of us. It's like the circle of life. The young people in schools right now have so much potential. They are brilliant. They are self-aware. They know what the problems are in the world. We are going to be okay as a society as long as we continue to invest in the capability of these young people. The third thing was when looking for a partner, an organization to work for or volunteer for, colleagues to hire, Dig deep to discover if you have shared values. Those are much more important than skill set, strategy, all of the typical things you would look at, money, title. Do you share values with the organization or people that you're going to work with? Great conversation for me. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.